Welcome to DevBootCamp Live, the podcast where we help you level up so you land your first engineering job, and we help you level up so you become the best engineer on your team. This is Juan Lizarazo. And this is Jared Potter. And today, Jared, what's the topic? Today, we're going to be talking about the document object model, or more simply referred to as the DOM. So in short bit about what the DOM is, is whenever you look at a web page, everything you see on that web page is represented in this document object model. Part of the reason why we're talking about this today is that Juan Lizarazzo very recently launched a brand new course on understanding the DOM on Udemy. Although we're not going to go super deep into his class specifically, we're going to be talking more broadly about many different topics. And then after this, you should definitely go and, and buy his course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's a topic that I really like a lot because I think it, it gets taken for granted these days, especially for our bootcamp graduates, right? Our students that we have, because they, they learn React and they learn to use it really well, but usually they don't understand how, how things are working, how, why things work the way they do, or they don't know what the virtual DOM is, right? And that's something you always hear when you work with React. So that's why I decided to create a class so then we can dive deep a little bit more into how things work. So then when they run into issues, they know what's going on since there's, there's everything is, everything, every, any library you use, any front-end library you use, it uses the DOM APIs to interact with the document, no matter what library you use. Under the hood is going to be that because it's the only way to interact with the document and runtime. So that's really what, why, why I chose to do that. So yeah, if you want to check out the course or if you want to learn more, just go to learndom.dev, learndom.dev, and there's a link there to the Udemy class or just look it up. We'll have uh, links on the description on this video and uh, or whatever platform you're listening this on. And I have a, tw a tweet, uh, I will have it on Twitter on my, on my bio also. So, so yeah, so let's talk about that, Jared. Um, let's just start by defining, uh, yeah, let, let, what's the document object model? Like, let, let's just start talking about that, Jared. So what is that? Yeah, d definitely. So when you, so kind of where it, where it all, where it all, where it all begins is the, is the HTML. So the HTML is just a bunch of text that you write in your editor, right? And, and that's really all it is, is just text. Then when we load it in a browser, the browser has some sort of HTML engine that's working behind the scenes and it takes it and it needs to parse it into this thing called the document object model. And that's also why people will, re will refer to the web page as the document or the index HTML page as being the document is it's coming from this phrase of the document object model. Um, but yeah, to, to, to succinctly describe what the actual document object model is, is it's a tree structure that describes all of the different nodes uh, that make up the page. And, and these nodes can be a variety of different things, but the main things that they ultimately represent are elements, which are, if you take an HTML tag, it directly translates to an element. But then there are other nodes involved, such as the, the content inside of an element is its own node, as well as each of the different attributes, right? So if you see class equals or the type of an input element, right? Those are also considered, um, considered nodes. Um, but, but Juan, why, why is it important to, to, to understand what the document object model is in, in 2020 when we have all these different frameworks. Why, why is that important? Um, yeah, there's different reasons. Well, one is performance, of course, because you can have performance issues 
um, another one is, for example, you can use any library, but you still have access any time to uh, the document APIs and the document object model APIs. And if you if you misuse them, you will have performance issues as well. Uh, that's the way you interact with the document, even if you're using a library. The library, like React, is just an abstraction of it. It's just making your life easier. So it's very important to understand. And anyways, when you are debugging production code, many times you will find that that is already transpiled at, at many times or there are issues that you run into and that's usually using the document object model. So it's really good to understand that, especially for performance when you're doing web optimization, good to understand how you are starting up your page. So Jared, you share a lot of content there. So there's a lot of things that we need to branch out from, but yeah. So in a nutshell, right, the document object model is this uh, set of APIs that we use to interact with the document. The document, we can think about the document as two things. One, we have our static HTML file or static if it is server-side render or whatever, right? Like the, the, the source code that you modify. And then we have the parse document that we have available at runtime. And that document object model is not actually the file itself that we're changing or modifying, but as Jared says, is what we have at runtime is this document representation. And it's just a set of objects that comprise the structure of the content of the page. And it's, uh, it, it's our gateway to interact with it. Mm, the way we interact with it is just by using the document interface. So let's start there to start the glossing, uh, the the little parts like you, you you share all this stuff right <laughs> so now we need to start like addressing each of them so our gateway to interact with the document object model is the document interface and this is just a, a, a an object that we have available at window.document or at document that usually we use with document and when we're using javascript or if you type it in your console and this has a set of apis so the to start branching out, you talk about a tree, right? A tree. So let's talk about trees, Jared. Like, what is really a tree? I, I think that a lot of our students don't know what um, what trees are, right? So let's just start talking about that data structure. Why? What is a tree? Why is it a tree? Let's just start talking about that, Jared. What, what do you want to share about trees? Yeah, definitely. So, so just like with like a real life tree, you have some sort of root, you know, where it's, you know, it's actually going into the ground. But then as it comes up, it eventually will branch out, right? Where it's going to, you know, branch out into different directions. And then those branches can branch out into their own directions. And eventually, right, you get to the very end, right? Which we might call the, the leaves, right? The leaf nodes, if you will. So you can take that exact same concept and apply it to this document object model, where each of, again, your HTML elements and the contents and the attributes can represent nodes that are connected to each other. And this, this structure is just really useful for being able to, you know, go from one node to another node uh, because that relationship is there between the children and the parent, right? Depending on where in the tree you are. So you're, you're touching there the, the critical, the, the, the most important part when you say oh, child and parent, right? So the reason why I see that tree is because we have a hierarchy. That's why it's not a flat structure, like it's not an array, it's not a linked list, right? Um, a tree is a data structure, computer science, very popular, and it's very, very powerful for two reasons. One, to represent hierarchical structures, right? When we have this parent-child relationship or descendants, and we have that in the document. For example, we have HTML, body, body contains 
your H1 tag and your div, then your div contains this pan. You see, there's a hierarchy. So that's why the tree is a good representation. But also trees are really fast to perform searches are faster than a linear search with arrays, for example, because you just have the levels that you just have to search through and transverse. So, so that's when we talk about, like sometimes we talk about transversing the DOM and that's because we're searching in the DOM, we're performing searches. But yeah, no, that's really good. That's a good explanation, Jared, of, of, of the tree structure and you know that's why why it's a, it's a it's a tree so talking now about the document so this document right is a, a it's an object that has a set of apis it's our gateway uh, and this is made available to us uh, by the browser the document has these apis that allow us to interact with the document to make changes at runtime so jared why why would why on earth would we want to make changes at runtime to a document. Like, let's say I write a website, why would I want to make changes at runtime if I already wrote the HTML? Like, why, why so important that in 2021? Yeah, the reason for that is, is really simple. It's interaction, right? If you want any sort of meaningful interaction with a web page from the user, you, you have to be able to traverse and manipulate the DOM. Uh, without it, it's going to be a fairly static page, right? Just a read-only viewing page, right? Although there's forms that offer a little bit of interaction without needing to manipulate the DOM, that's very, it's quite limited, right? Any modern website you're looking at in today's world has interaction. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't have, if, if you didn't use the document object model, React, Angular, Vue, jQuery, none of that would work at all because that's about like this interactivity at runtime and making changes, making changes to the document at runtime. Once it's downloaded to the computer, right? And we, let's say we click something and something changes, something pops up, a model shows up, an alert, all that is run through JavaScript if we're not doing refreshes to the page and that's through the document object model. So that's why it is so important. Uh, and, and also there's the performance implications uh, that we have uh, adhered to it. Um, there's, there's other things that, that, that I like always to mention, Jared. And, and this is kind of like many people don't hear about them, but they come a lot in interviews, right? So, so for example, another thing that is important about the document object model, the DOM, is that when you're at an interview, at a technical interview, so you, new graduate, you're interviewing, and you have a technical test for a junior position, chances are that maybe if you have to do some live coding tests or you have to do something like that, many times they're not going to let you use React or Angular or Vue. And the reason for that is because sometimes, let's say the company uses Vue, but you know React. So it's kind of like, it's not valuable to them if you do React because they use Vue. So they want to see how comfortable you are with pure JavaScript if you know your way around it. Because if you know those fundamentals, they know that you will use the library in a better, more appropriate way, right? That you won't hack it or you won't do things you are not supposed to. So, so that's very important too for interviews and technical interviews. So if we think about that, Jerry, technical interviews, what questions or what maybe live code exercises uh, that come with the DOM? What type of operations do, 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 do our students or listeners should, should know when, they, when it comes to you know, interviewing? Like what, what changes they, they, they need to know how to make to a page at least at a minimum? Yeah, de definitely. There are a handful of different APIs that you can utilize off of, again, that primary document object that Juan was mentioning earlier. And yeah, some of the primary ones that you'll be using either in a tech, either in a technical interview or in, you know, whatever small project you might be working on 
are, you know, one of them is going to be your query selector or your get element by ID, right? Both of those allow you to, like what Juan was saying, traverse the DOM and find particular elements that you want. And then once you have those, you know, you might want to either modify it directly. So you could modify its inner HTML or its inner text, right? Those are both uh, APIs on the elements, the nodes that you can, you can modify. Uh, and you also can do some things like uh, append a child, right? So again, back to that parent-child relationship that Juan was talking about, you know, being able to first maybe use the query selector to get which element you want, and then using the append child to, to add to it, right? But those are a few. Juan, what are some other ones that you might be, you might be asked about, pretty common ones? Yeah, so, so you mentioned them really, like the, so the fundamental operations that you need to know, like if you're a JavaScript engineer and you want to be the best in your field at a minimum, you have to know how to create an element, how to find an element on the page, how to modify that element. For example, learn the properties that you have available to those nodes. And you don't have to memorize them because there's so many, there's hundreds. You don't have to memorize them. But if you know how to search for them in the documentation, like MDN, Mozilla Developer Network, that's my favorite one. For example, if I need to find something for the document, I just type their document and it shows me the interface with all the methods and all the attributes. But they, at a minimum, you have to know how to create an element, then how to append it to the document, right? So that append DOM method, they get element by ID, um, they, they, they delete, remove node, they remove method, um, maybe cloning a node is also important. And I think if you know, like, if you know how to get how to find, how to create, and how to paint. You can virtually pass any, any interview, really. Um, learn some basic attributes. So for example, how do you set an ID dynamically? How do you set some style dynamically to the document? Because usually we're gonna be making changes to style, like show, hide, right? So learn at a minimum those operations. So, you know, any listening, anybody listening out there, you always have homework with us. So you gotta learn how to do those things, like figure it out, go search all the, all the resources online that you can find, check out my class. Like I teach you how to do all that, but that's gonna prepare you better for this interview. So you land, you know, that's one of our, our premises here. We help you land your first engineering job. And this is one of the things that, Jared, how many interviews we have done together that our interviewees, our candidates don't pass because they don't know how to, how to work outside React, right? And the reason, like they, we don't hire them and they, we haven't hired them when we worked together. And the reason for that is because the projects that we were on, they were not using React. So it's kind of like, I'm so sorry. I mean, you're really good at React maybe, but we're not using React 100% because we have other, other things in our tech stack. But if you know write JavaScript really well, you can learn these other things, right? So, so it's kind of like, it's, it's gonna open the, this gate for you to land your first engineering job. Don't rely so much on React. You, you need to know your way around JavaScript because React is written in JavaScript. If you're great at JavaScript, you can be really great at React. That's really gonna push you up. Um, so yeah, the, there's other things that, that I'd like to ask, which is about the, you know, like you have seen, the, the, there's something called, and I wanna see if you know about this because many engineers don't know about this, but here I wanna like push the, the bar. Do, have you heard or do you know about the browser model object? Because this is something that sometimes students confuse with the document object model. Have you heard about that before? I can't say that I have. Okay, exactly. So many people haven't, haven't heard about that, but that's a, like a thing that we interact with. So the browser model object, it's another model object that we have, but it's made available 
from the browser. So for example, you when you do your, um, let's say you wanna get the height of the window and you do window dot and some property like maybe dot height or offset or some offset or scrolling, right? All those scrolling properties, all that is available to you through the, or, or, the, or the height or the, the window specific APIs that are outside the document, that's the browser model object. So those are proprietary APIs that the different vendors have, they're not standardized, and that's what it lets you interact with, for example, browser history, window.location. Those are not part of the, pro of the document object model. So the critical part about that, Jared, is that those are not really standardized because there's not a standard about the browser model object. So that's why sometimes like you have to do something like, okay, if I'm doing Safari, I do it this way, right? But maybe if I'm using Firefox, I have to do this extra way. But when it comes to the document object, Jared, things are more standard, but there, there's a gotcha there. So let's talk about those standards. Do you know about the, the document object model standards? Or do you know about those, like how, how browsers, browser vendors agree on, on like how to support or how to implement these DOM APIs? Like how Chrome and Safari agree that, oh yeah, we're gonna do the same thing. So then the developers just create a single page for us. Like, do you know about those? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm aware that there are, there are standards out there. I can't recall exactly where they're from, uh, but, but it is worth noting that historically, I mean, there have been a lot more issues in the past with cross-browser compatibility, mm -hmm. but a lot of those have been solved through, through some of these standards. But Juan, tell me a little bit more about these standards. Yeah, I'm not gonna get deep into those, but there's some standards that, so, so the, the critical part, like what, what you mentioned, like you, you went where I wanted to go, so which is really good. So there's a standards that normalize things and just know about that, you can search about the DOM standards and stuff. But the, the critical part is that standards can be extended and browsers extended. And today in 2020, 2021, browsers just still do that, the vendors. So sometimes you're gonna find that maybe Chrome supports some API and Safari does not. And that's been the case usually that Safari has a lot of security that usually they take two, three more years to implement certain things or to allow certain things, right? Uh, if you're working with progressive web apps, you notice that you didn't have support to maybe web workers for like five years after Chrome had support for that. And the reason is because the standard is not enforced. It's kind of like, hey, this is the guideline. This is what you got to support. But there's like, there's not like a timeline for you to, have it ready, right? And then you can extend it. You can have, well, if you're using Safari, you have also these other things available because you can extend them. So that's, uh, that's when you talk about the cross-browser compatibility, that's, that's, that, that's really good. I'm gonna take a break here to share. Uh, let's share here our tweeters, Jared. So if you have questions or if you wanna talk about the DOM or talk about what we're doing here, um, let's, um, let, let me see, let me zoom in here on this. Um, so you can follow me on twitter.com uh, slash Juan Lizarazo G, J-U-A-N-L-I-Z-A-R-A-Z-O-G. Uh, we have links on, on our uh, YouTube or in the podcast uh, so you can easily follow us. Um, so yeah, so that's my Twitter, get in touch with, with me. Yeah, and everybody can find me at twitter.com forward slash Jared Potter. That's J-A-R-E-D-P-O-T-T-E-R. And yeah, feel free to follow me and send me a message. I'd love to start a conversation. Yeah, I, I've been talking back and forth with some students and uh, and some people that are listening to the podcast and some people are asking for help on different things. And it's, it's been cool. It's been cool to interact with some some people that are truly interested in leveling up. And right now, like we don't have a, a big audience yet in this. That, that is nice to be able to have like that 
personal conversation with with the people that are asking for help on certain topics. Um, so so that's been really good. So yeah, follow us there. We have links on 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 YouTube or in the podcast platform that you're listening this on. Um, so you can get in touch um, and we can discuss me this uh, more in deep. So Jared, what should we address or talk about next uh, regarding the document object model? Yeah, one thing I want to just add to from a former topic about we were talking about the document object model APIs. Another, you know, method that's going to be really useful to understand is the add event listener, right? This is this is foundational to the interactivity on the web, right? No matter where you are, right? And again, Vue, Angular, React, behind the scenes, they're using the same add event listener, okay? So the add event listener function in short, right, it takes two parameters. The first parameter is the type of event, right? So this could be a type of click, it could be a type of hover, it could be, there's like numerous different events that, that you can take a look at. There's a, there's a change event. So if you're talking about um, change, like when you're typing into a input field, right? Same thing. So understanding that and, you know, playing around with the different options outside of just, you know, on click, uh, it can be really, really helpful in understanding how things are, are changing. Uh, yeah, I think it would be useful to talk perhaps a little bit more about uh, kind of the why behind, you know, learning the DOM and the DOM APIs, right? Uh, you know, so a couple of the reasons that I've, you know, understood is number one, it's just really important to understand what's going on under the hood of the behind all these libraries and these, and these frameworks. You know, again, I think Juan mentioned earlier on that sometimes you're going to have production issues. And by the time that that code has been transpiled and piled down, you know, it's using the native DOM JavaScript APIs. Not, it's not using, you know, the, the nice React and Angular that we, that we built, right, in our IDEs. Uh, but, and then additionally, another option is that not every single project that you're going to be working on throughout your career is going to be using these front-end JavaScript, you know, frameworks and libraries. Mm -hmm. Some of them are more legacy projects. Some of them are using jQuery, right? If you, yeah. If you go to any successful company in 2020, and by, by that, I mean like not a brand new startup that got 20 million in funding. I'm talking about like a company that is established, that is making millions of dollars. Usually those companies have legacy software. For example, a friend, she works at Amazon. And she's now migrating a 15-year-old code base from pure JavaScript and with a built-in framework to into React. So when you're, just imagine that, like, okay, I'm at Amazon and I'm porting this, right? She's doing that. So the, the thing is that in order to do that, she needs to understand the old JavaScript school so she can port it into React, right? And there's a lot of DOM APIs and DOM calls and, uh, and, and pure JavaScript things. So, so any successful company, like, like in reality, most of the successful companies have legacy software and you need to interact with them. Um, one, uh, with the low-level JavaScript, with pure JavaScript. Another thing is like when you, when you download, let's say, a third-party library, many of those libraries, sometimes they have issues and sometimes you can identify those because you understand JavaScript. They're written in JavaScript. Um, other thing, for example, that, that really helps with is performance. So let's talk about performance a little bit, Jared. Um, the document object model is very uh, delicate because, for example, if you make a change, and this, like, even if you use React or Angular, if you do this wrong, you potentially can mess up your site because there's something called the pixel pipeline, which is how do we get these pixels into the screen? It's just that process of getting the pixels into the screen. And there's 
a critical step in the pixel pipeline, which is the, the painting process. That painting process is very expensive. And expensive means that is like the, the biggest, the, the, the one that, that is more delicate when it comes to performance, that if you, let's say you, you triggered a lot of repaints, you are going to make your site not really performing. It's going to be slower because there's more recalculations that need to happen, which is the, the, the recalculation step that happens after painting. So what that means really, like in, in plain words, is that let's say you rendered your, let's say you rendered your component and then later on you decide to add styles to it. Right. Let's say you dynamically do another, you render your component. Let's say I'm doing React, I render my component, and then I decide to do a get to get the styles for that account, and then I update that on my component. Right there, yes, I'm using React, but right there you just triggered a reflow because you apply the styles after you had already rendered the component, and that's going to trigger recalculations, and it's going to trigger a pain. And even when these things happen in the virtual DOM in React, and that's another thing I would like to talk about, the virtual DOM, that's something that everybody talking about React knows, like, oh yeah, the virtual DOM. And then you ask them, what's the virtual DOM? And they, they, they have no idea, right? New students. So that's a, a good thing to, to cover too. But when when even with the virtual DOM, the, the update has to happen happen anyway. So if you trigger that update, so it's rendering on the screen, you trigger a paint. Even if you have the virtual DOM, the virtual DOM is going to have these optimizations. So it's not bad really, but still you are triggering a paint that you could avoid because if you know about the pixel pipeline, you could be like, well, I should get the styles before I render the component. And you could like put that together if those styles are coming from some API and then apply them before you render the component. And then you just have one paint there. So that's really like very important about web performance. Many sites today have web performance issues and they're, and they're so easy to fix, right? But you just have to have this knowledge about the different, the different pieces, about the browser model object, document object model, the CSS object model also, which is things we're not gonna cover today, but that's, uh, that's yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. Um, did that cover what you, what you thought about, Jared? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the, the one thing I would add to that as well is that it's important to remember as engineers is, you know, sometimes we're running just more powerful machines than our users are, right? A lot of our users are running on, you know, cell phones or even, but even older cell phones that are just not as powerful. So being able to optimize our, our code now, you know, when we're the developers can really help out performance when they're using your web app. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's another, another important thing um, that our, yeah, our users, like they don't have the latest MacBook Pro 2020, right? Like usually they just have normal computers, normal cell phones. Uh, they, they, they're, they're not in when, like when I think, for example, my mom, right? Like what phone does she have, right? So usually you have to think about those users because those are going to be your customers, your clients, and your app has to be performant. Another thing about performance, Jared, like I was just thinking, like, for example, let's say in Angular, if you decide to... Angular has its change detection mechanism and it's also very optimized. But like if you do, let's say a for loop and in the for loop, you decide to set a lot of classes, right? And trigger a lot of change detection. That's going to affect web performance, even if you're using Angular. And the reason for that is the same thing. You're triggering a lot of reflows because you don't know how the document object model is interacting with these things. So usually when you, when you know those things, you can like also batch those updates. So really like knowing about the document object model makes you more conscious of how these things are working under the hood so then you can build better software because you understand why certain things are working the way they do and you know those considerations is at the end of the day things run in a browser no matter what you build them in 
they run in a browser and they have to be running natively in what the browser understands, right? So, so that's, uh, that, that, that's an, a very important implication. And really knowing about it has made me a better engineer since I learned that like many, many years ago because it, uh, I'm more conscious about it and then I can point it out in code reviews like, oh no, look, yeah, you're doing this. You shouldn't do that right here. Do it here or change these, right? Because it, it's triggering reflows. It's affecting change detection. Like you have these optimization techniques that, that really help you. Mm, so Jay, let's talk about the virtual DOM just to wrap up and then we do our recap. So I don't work professionally with React. I did, I mean, I worked with React for a year for like five years ago. I, I really like React. I really like it. It's really fun. But you've been doing, I mean, I'm not going to share much, but I know you're working on a React project right now. So let's talk about the virtual DOM. What is this virtual DOM theme, Jared? Like why React is so popular with its virtual DOM that is super fast? What is the virtual DOM? Yeah, so we've been kind of making little hints about the virtual DOM and touching on little aspects about it. But again, so if you take the DOM that we've been talking about, which remembers this tree structure of nodes, right? And the relationship between all those different nodes. If you take that, the virtual DOM is essentially a copy of that, of that DOM. Okay. So it's another tree structure. And within it, when you're, you know, using React and when you're changing different things, what you're initially changing is you're changing that virtual DOM. And then the idea is, is that, you know, when you normally edit the, the normal DOM directly, you know, you're not, you don't have as much control over when the page gets re-rendered or repainted, right? Like Juan was talking about there. So when we're working with the virtual DOM, what can happen is that React will actually batch together multiple changes to the DOM that we're making. And then on, you know, on whatever period or whatever, you know, you know, uh, cycle that they're running on, they will again, batch all these changes together and apply them all at once in a very efficient way to optimize performance, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this magic like 60 frames per second that people like to talk about. But, you know, if you have any sort of, you know, animation on your page or just, or even if it's a full-fledged game, right, that's kind of a target that we're looking for so that it looks smooth and it looks, it doesn't you know, it looks really look nice. laggy or like you don't want to miss frames. I mean, we're not going to talk about that today, but, but yes, Jared, so we have these object that represents the DOM and let's say you make 30 updates to it, right, in React. You make the 30 updates and what React does is like, okay, these are the 30 updates and then React will apply the final step. Instead of applying the one by one to the real DOM, it will just say, okay, this is my final state, the desired end, and just goes and does one or 10 updates, whatever this needs to make because it's different elements, right, that need to be updated, but it just does it at once before the, most likely before the next frame is uh, rendered, the next repaint. So that's really efficient because it does the batching for you. But if you trigger a lot of these updates in an inefficient way, no matter how much React you use and how much virtual DOM you use, you can build bad performing apps. Because if you don't, are not aware of those things, let's say imagine you put updates on a for loop or in an interval that you update every second. React can be very efficient but it still is going to do that update every second because you are forcing it to, right? That it's not going to be great. It's going to start affecting that performance or that perceived performance. So that's really good um, about the virtual DOM and that's why it's so, so powerful, but you got to understand how that works so then you can get the most out of it. Um, every framework has its own mechanism to change the tech, to detect changes and stuff. But the, the, the comparison I like to make, Jared, to finalize this, is that the DOM is kind of like this object, right? Is this object that represents what the document has on the page, what you're seeing, and 
the browser is kind of like this observer. The browser is watching for changes. And let's say you make a change to the DOM, the browser is going to be like, oh, that's a change. I want to show it right away. The, the browser is just rushing to make those updates fast. So if you make 30 updates directly to the DOM, the browser is going to just grab them and make the 30 updates one by one because he's ready to run them. So that's why batching is really good. It's a good technique. Even if you don't use React, you can also batch your updates and, and there's a lot of strategies for that. So then you get the most out of it. But yeah, no, I think that was a good discussion, right? Like uh, about the virtual, about the document object model. Um, let's do our recap and, and let's, let's wrap today's episode. Yeah, definitely. So in today's episode, we talked about how, you know, we take our HTML documents and we turn them into this document object model, this tree structure, parent-child relationships between the nodes. Uh, we talked about how with this doc document object model, we have a lots of different APIs for traversing the DOM and manipulating the DOM, changing it. Uh, we talked about why it's really important to understand the DOM in 2020 and how to interact with it, right? Knowing how this works is going to help us be better developers when we're using React, Angular, or Vue. Uh, what, am, what else am I missing here? Uh, yeah, we talked about the browser model object also, the browser object model, the BOM, right? I mentioned the CSS object model. I didn't say anything about it, really. We talked about, well, the virtual DOM, how... Uh, the pixel pipeline, go Google about the pixel pipeline, Google about repaints, Google about reflows, like these different concepts that will help you, but get, get, get them by ID, create element, like create an element, find an element, delete an element, those three things, and you will, you will get your way around interviews. Like you will really nail those interviews if you know those three ways to interact with the document. Just memorize them, practice them, learn them by heart, and then you will nail those interviews if you run into live coding interviews that don't rely on React or in Vue or in Angular. So yeah, so yeah I think and if that, you guys that... want to learn a little bit more about the DOM, please check out Juan's course at learndom.dev. Yeah, go there and yeah, there's like you should, sometimes I post coupons and discounts. Udemy also runs its own um, sales. There's gonna be Cyber Monday, um, so yeah, go check it out and 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 get the discounts and and and, and let me know how it goes. Like it's a it's working progress, right? I mean, it's released, but I have, I I do updates to that class every every now and then. So then they they. They stay current, right? I, I have my other classes in my other class in Udemy, and I update it every now and then. So then it stays current, and and if there is issues, right, when there's a new class, but yeah, check it out, learn more, and let me know how it goes. If you have questions, uh, there's already questions. Some students are asking really good questions there that are really like helping them level up. So so yeah, go check it out. But yeah, so thank you so much. This was Dev Bootcamp Live, uh, the podcast where we help you level up so you land your first engineering job and you become the best engineer on your team. I'm Juan Di Sarazo. And this is Jared Potter. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take care.